It's just like a lot of our customers at Diamondback say, I justify my hourly rate not by the hours that I spend doing the work, but by the hours that I spent learning how to do the work. Welcome to BizBuild Podcast, presented to you by the good folks here at Diamondback Tool Company. I'm the host of the show, Damani, head of sales and media for Diamondback Tool Belts. Follow me at Diamondback underscore Damani, that's D-A-M-A-N-I on Instagram. I'm here, as I will be on every episode, with Connor Crook, CEO of Diamondback Tool Belts. Follow him on Instagram at Diamondback.ToolBelts. The purpose of BizBuild is to provide listeners an inside track on what it takes to build a business. It is our hope that you can learn from our successes and pitfalls and siphon knowledge from our various expertise so that you can get an edge in the business of building something great. So that's uh, that's little boy court. So let's look at uh, big boy court. And you sort of talked a little bit about some of the additional pieces that occur in right. big boy court, like the discovery process, getting all the information. What are the other elements to big boy court that you have to be prepared for? Sure. So this is where I really want to focus is, you know, general district court, I've handled cases in there for five, ten thousand dollars and it takes about two months mm-hmm. in Virginia, usually. Circuit court's a different deal. Mm-hmm. Circuit court is going to cost a minimum tip of ten thousand dollars and it could cost a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars. Hmm. And it can take years. Wow. Because instead of filing a single piece of paper saying, Damani owes me money, and then here in Virginia, for instance, you file one piece of paper, says Damani owes me $10,000. Damani can then ask for more information. I have to file a second piece of paper, and then we come to court. Mm-hmm. In circuit court, I file a much longer piece of paper outlining all of the reasons Damani owes me $10,000, or now we're talking Mm $50,000. He files a longer paper saying why we don't. Then lawyers start going back and forth asking for all the documentation, interviewing witnesses, all of this sort of thing, requesting you to admit that you didn't do this, this, that, and the other. I mean, that's another formal written deal. Mm -hmm. Then at some point in time, the plaintiff, the defense attorney is going to say, even if everything the plaintiff's attorney says is right, he doesn't have a case, he didn't file his paperwork right, we need to have a hearing on this. Mm-hmm. So you have a hearing on that. Let's say you win. Right. The defense wins. The judge says, you're right. Plaintiff, you didn't make out your case in this document. Guess what? Mm-hmm. 90% of the time he's going to say, okay, I'm going I'm to give you 20 days to go back and fix that. Yo, bring me a case. So then we start all over again. Then... Three months later now, we go back to court to argue the plaintiff still hasn't made out of a case. Assuming the plaintiff's attorney is decent. Mm-hmm. By this time, he's kind of figured it out. So right. the judge says, ah, you know, it's not the best, but, you know, I think you, you pledge your case. The, the bar is pretty low just to plead a case. Mm-hmm. Okay, so y'all set your discovery calendar. I'm going to give you six months to do all of your discovery, then come back in. We'll see where you are, and then we'll talk about setting a trial date. We're at nine months already, and we haven't even... We're, and when we come back, we're just going to talk about setting a trial date. Because during that six-month time mm-hmm. when the judge said, go do your discovery, I'm going to ask for all your documents. You're going to say, you're going to wait till the last day and then object to all of my requests, even though they're perfectly valid. Mm-hmm. So then we're going to have to set a hearing to go to court so I can say, Damani didn't give me all of his documents. Mm-hmm. And your lawyer's going to say, well, they were inappropriate. And the judge is going to say, shut up and give him his documents. Come back again in 30 days and make sure that everybody's happy. <laughs> so you come back in 30 more days. 
and it's just constant mm-hmm. nitpicking about all these little tiny things. And the hope is from the defense's side is that if, if they can draw this out long enough, then there's enough time between the, when the incident occurred to when the trial happens that it'll be enough obfuscation or gray area or confusion that they can get them off on a technicality or some information is lost around the Or along just the, way. the plaintiff feels like, I got to take some money because I got a business to run. Damani owes me $100,000. Dude, just give me thirty to cover my costs, and I, I got things to do with my life. Right, right. Because um, so it's taking too long. Right. So these delay tactics help the defense usually because the defense can draw it out, and you know the the plaintiff is oftentimes sitting here thinking, "Man, I I got to move on. I'm having to meet with my lawyer every week. My lawyer's charging me hundreds of dollars for every hour that he meets with me." Mm-hmm. And this on is, top of all the other work, you know that. He's charging you for the copies and the, the motions and the filings. And I'm a little bit stressed out. Yeah. And so, okay, so let's imagine here that um, the case is made, all right? And the judge says, okay, we can, we can hear this particular case then. Um, what happens then? Like, okay, so now we're going to move to the trial stage. You know, we've done all of our discovery. We've had all our pretrial motions. We've agreed on what the, we've had another hearing to decide which exhibits can come in and which can't. We've had another one to decide which witnesses can come in, which ones can't. We've interviewed each other's expert witnesses. We've detailed what they're going to talk about. You know, we've already spent tens of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. So then we're going to come to court. Of course, the day before court, we're going to have more pretrial motions to say that, you know, judge, we've gotten this far, and he's still not, you know, said this and that and the other. And if we take all the evidence that was produced in his depositions to be true, they still lose. We're going to have a whole other day of pretrial motions. Mm-hmm. Then we get to trial date. Pretrial motions, it's just an, a way, again, to try to get out of having the trial? Exactly. Okay. So then we finally get to trial. The good news is most of your claims are based on a contract. And in most states, you can't get a jury for a contracts case. Oh, okay. Um, you know, contracts are generally very legal based, and so you know, you, the jury's not going to understand the legalese anyways. You don't want to fool with the jury, right? Um, on the other hand, if there was some sort of fraud claim made out, you might end up with a jury. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, we get to court. You know, plaintiff puts on their evidence for however long. Then you have more motions to say the plaintiff's evidence isn't good enough, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Then your defense evidence has to put on. And so during all of that, again, depending on who's plaintiff, who's defendant, who's, you know, who filed suit first, one side is going to say all the work was done shoddy, and that's why I had to fire him, and I had to spend all this money to, to redo the work. The other side is going to say, I was doing all the work. It was great. This person supposed to be paying me was a jerk. They wanted me to do all this extra work. They conned me into doing all this extra work. We didn't get change orders done because I was trying to get make them happy. And so now they're saying they don't owe me the money that was in the change orders. Go back to the old episodes to learn about change orders. And why they're so important. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day... Again, at the end, at, so now on day three of trial, mm-hmm. there's a fair chance we're going to be on site because the judges had been listening to this for two weeks, for two days. He's been listening to these lawyers, showing him pictures of this, that, and the other. And he's going to say, you know, 
I want to get out there and see this thing. Yeah, seven-year-old judge on his hands and knees. I've done arbitrations in luxury homes. I have left court to go to luxury homes. I've been on commercial sites. Anything you can imagine, because, you know, the judge is trying to make a decision about, is this work really done right? Or what did they, were they valid, you know, was it reasonable for them to fire these people? And so now you're going to spend a half a day out on the job site looking, pointing, this is what I think was done wrong. Right. But so this, this is what's crazy to me, though, is that in this entire process, there's this site or this job that's sitting Right? So maybe. Maybe. All right. So maybe no more work can be done. But as if I'm the contractor, I want I want to maximize production. I want to get this done so I can get this house or this project rented out so I can start making my money back. Is that should I if I'm in a dispute over work that happened on a site, should I just stop? You know, it's like the evidence is always there until the trial is done. Or do I say, you know what, I got my pictures and everything like that. You know, I'm going to keep on, I'm going to get somebody to come and fix this thing so I can start renting it. And hopefully that my pictures and evidence work. Now, let me make sure I understood your question right. Mm-hmm. Are you saying from the perspective of the owner of this property? Yeah, the owner of the property yeah, or if the you're person the, that's building it. If yeah. you're the owner of the property, mm-hmm. you may as well go ahead and build the thing. Okay. You bring in your, you document everything, the condition of everything. You bring in your new subs, they do all the work. Mm-hmm. That's actually better for you because part of the case is you have to prove how much you were damaged. Oh, right. Which is going to be how much extra there, work needs to be There are various done. ways of, yeah. of deciding damages in a case like this. It's like, okay, the, the property was finished, but it's not as good as it should have been. Well, okay, are we going to judge that by the difference in the value of the property the way it was supposed to be built versus the way it was built? Mm-hmm. Are we going to judge the uh, the damages by how much it costs to bring it up to the original level? Oh, I see. For an owner, usually the way you want to quantify your damages is how much it costs for me to make this thing right. Right. So okay. you want to go ahead, bring in all the other crews, and – you know, like we just said a few minutes ago, it's going to be very difficult for them to estimate how much it's going to cost to fix something. Okay. So you almost want them to have fixed it so you have all the paperwork. Right. Go ahead. Let's fix it all. Let's get And so then when I go to court, I can say I paid sub one this much, sub two this much, sub three this much, sub four this much. And they're all going to be here today, Judge, to tell you what they had to do, why they had to do the things they do, and that they've been in this business for a long time, and they're licensed, and this is fair and reasonable compensation for the work they had to do. Now, let's get to the money. Mm -hmm. You've you've mentioned multiple times here this is going to be an expensive process. Yep. (laughs) There's always the sticker price, and then there's the hidden fees, Mm -hmm. right? All the things that you weren't prepared for. And obviously, the sticker price would be the hourly fee for your lawyer, Mm -hmm. right? And then there's the other legal fees, what you would expect to have to pay that maybe, I mean, that you didn't expect maybe that you had to pay. Well, the How fact- much of that goes back on me or you? You're tuned in to the Biz Build Podcast. I'm Damani. And I'm Connor Crook. Well, so this is sort of one of the... Cra- so this is called the English rule and the American rule. And the American rule is that attorney's fees are generally... The product are 
carried by the party who incurred them. Mm-hmm. In other words, I pay my lawyer, you pay your lawyer. Right. Now, a lot of contracts say the prevailing party shall be awarded their attorney's fees. Right. So if you win, then the loser pays your attorney. Right. But remember what I told you a minute ago. You wanted 50, I wanted 50, and we ended, one of us ended up with 10. Mm-hmm. So who's the prevailing party? Well, well I'm stumped. So then the judge is going to have to make a factual determination at the end. Mm-hmm. Well, Damani, actually, let's say this. Damani wanted 70. Mm-hmm. Connor only wanted 50. Mm-hmm. And I gave Damani 10. So did Damani win? <laughs> Nobody won. So then the judge is going to say, all right, well, Damani, your attorney's fees were $50,000. I'm going to give you 10 of your attorney's fees. Mm-hmm. Because that has some proportionate relation to how much of the case you won. Wow. 40. You're out 40 Gs. You're out the portion of the money you didn't win plus that attorney's fees portion that you didn't get back. Oh, wow. Now, we hadn't even gotten, of course, to the whole point that you could try to get this money out of me, which may be like getting blood out of a turnip. Right, because you're not in any hurry to cut me any checks. No, Lord, no. Which might put you back in court suing for your fee. I'm talking about, well. No, we're su- suing for, you know, your, your lawyer fees. Well, what you're trying to do is collect on a judgment, and collecting on a judgment is a whole different. Getting a judgment is day one. Mm-hmm. Collecting on a judgment is day two through ten. <laughs> right now, it's seeming to me that there's no... There's no way that going to court is truly beneficial to you. Yeah, I mean, it it, it sounds really bad the way you put it out. It's just like avoid it at all costs. It's the, there are rare instances where a trial is in anyone's interest. Um, you know, there are. Let's just be what it is, there's scumbags out there who say, I'm going to pay all these contractors to do a bunch of work to me. They're going to get 75% of the way done, and I'm not going to pay them the last fourth. They're going to come after me. I'm going to fight my lawyers a little bit enough that I'm going to like end up paying them half of what I owed them and mm-hmm. my lawyers a little bit of money. And basically, mm-hmm. I saved myself some money. And probably if you're a contractor of that size, you have a lawyer on, lawyer on retainer anyway, so you're already paying the person. Right. If, Give them some work. I'm already paying them. Yeah. So if if you're if that is your business model that you're just going to sue everybody you owe money to, to knock them down on what they owe you, yeah, that's some people do business that way. There's a lot of people, some famous people. <laughs> All right. So and, you know, let me say, there are other times where people one side of the dispute is simply being unreasonable. Right. And you know. From a legal perspective, again, you know, different lawyers work different ways. I'll, it was always my practice to, to try to tell my clients, stop paying me. Mm-hmm. You're just going to keep paying me more than you're ever going to get. Mm-hmm. Let's resolve this case in a way that doesn't involve going to trial versus trying to get that pound of flesh. You sound like an ethical lawyer. I feel like you're one of a hundred. I didn't really enjoy practicing law. <laughs> Because you're like in a shark tank and not a shark. You're like a tuna fish in a shark tank, Connor. Anyone ever told you that? With blood coming out of my butt. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, 
it it also seems like the system slight is slightly set up to benefit the people the haves versus the have nots. Right? So if I'm a small let me see, I'm just a small handyman, general contractor, you know, I'm working paycheck to paycheck to paycheck, and I get to a situation where I'm, you know, I, I sub or I get a job from a contractor and they pull the scenario that you just mm-hmm. mentioned, or like I'm going to pay you this until this point, and then I'm just going to not pay you and make you come after, uh, come after me. As a small business person of living paycheck to paycheck, I don't have the money to even begin to go to court to go after this person that's already got lawyers, got money to throw away if they want to. Mm-hmm. Therefore, my best recourse is to just say, oh, I got screwed on this one. Let me go to the next one. Uh, it's not quite that dismal. Um, mm-hmm. We had a show a couple of weeks ago about bankruptcy, and one of the things we talked about in that show is mechanics liens. Right. So going back to the mechanics lien, that is usually the best tool because, like we said in that episode, even if you don't get the mechanics lien filed 100% right mm-hmm. and it could be defeated in court, it gives you leverage. And if it is, you do have a $5,000 claim. There's a good chance that that person who owes you money is going to pay you half of it just to make the mechanics lien go away. Mm-hmm. And it costs you a couple hundred bucks to file that mechanics lien. Oh, okay. All right. Because for a minute there, I just, I just got sad for the world. <laughs> like that's, all, that's the only way I could put it. Um, you talked a little bit about expert witnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go a little bit deeper into that because my wife watches a lot of trial television and in in court movies and stuff like that. And there's always the funny situation where uh, one side brings in a quote unquote expert witness who really has no idea what they're talking about. What 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 is an expert witness in a trade case? You know, a construction case. Right. So by definition, you have two types of witnesses in, in a legal case. You have fact witnesses mm-hmm. and you have opinion witnesses. And a fact witness is somebody who says, yeah, I saw it. I did it. You know, I, I know the facts. Right. I was there firsthand. Right. An opinion witness is someone who is qualified to give their opinion about things like what should have been done or how it should have been done. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's actually a long whole, I could talk about the, the history of how expert witnesses were developed and all this mm-hmm. over the course of 100 years. But in short, it's somebody who has special knowledge about the situation and how it should have been done. And, and they've got to be able to prove they have that special knowledge by having degrees or written books or whatever. I don't know. What's the criteria there? Well, it really that's that's where it kind of gets interesting. I mean, obviously, you know, you see these crime dramas where they have the sociology PhD who writes all the books and whatever. Mm-hmm. In a construction case, it might be, well, we're trying to figure out if this plumbing was up to snuff. This guy is known around town as the best plumber. We're going to bring him in here. He's, you know, class A licensed and he's got all of his plumbing certificates and 40 whatever, years whatever. in business and he can come in and say I never would have run the lines like that because A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's a whole other issue. We talk about pretrial motions. You might end up having an argument about whether or not Damani is qualified to come in and testify about how copper pipe should have been run. Hmm. 
Yeah. And if I'm a defense lawyer or whatever in this situation, I'm going to try to pick apart every single expert witness and try to prove that they are not who they say that they are. That they don't know their stuff, that there's no reason that they have any special knowledge over anybody else, or you know, that they're not experienced enough. And then, of course, or I'm biased. Or biased. And then I'm going to bring in my guy who is like, well, I got this guy from a different town, and you're going to be putting on evidence. Well, you know, that's maybe how they do it in Poughkeepsie, but that's not how we do it around here. Shout out to Poughkeepsie. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there really is no, you know, specific standard for determining expert witness. <coughs> that's going to be determined by the judge. The judge can say, okay, right, the standard is, is, do you do you know more than the average Joe about this particular thing? Mm. And are you qualified to testify about giving an opinion on something? You know, opinions is like buttholes. <laughs> Definitely. I got two. Um, so now we're, in the, we're still in big boy court. What is the, I'm going to put you on the spot here, but what is the largest legal fee that you've seen Proportionate to the actual claim of the case. That's a tough one. I mean, I've seen legal fees in the millions of dollars, mm -hmm. but the cases were in the millions of dollars. Right. Um, do, you, do you find that... I have seen divorce fees in the millions of dollars, but they were estates. Oh, right. Of millions of dollars mm -hmm. that the people owed. I mean, there's... There's a general correlation, but the, what I would say in that vein is when you're looking to hire a lawyer, it's just like you're looking to hire any other tradesperson. Think of a lawyer as essentially, I mean, they get paid by the hour. Mm -hmm. They have a certain skill. Yeah. They are a skilled tradesperson right. in a suit. Right. You could find a generalist who might help you with all kinds of different things and then you get into a big case and you say, oh, yeah, come on. And that person's going to charge a, a, a sort of the same rate they've been charging for everything else. Mm -hmm. But you're going to be paying to train them. Right, because they had no experience in this situation. Or you or, can spend more. Limited. Right. Mm -hmm. Or you can go out and say, you know, I'm going to find a specialist mm -hmm. in this particular area. So I practice a good bit of construction litigation. So, And also having come from a, a little bit of a construction background, I knew some of the concepts of how construction works. I also did enough of that type of litigation to know the different issues to look for. And so I could even, I mean, still, I had to do research on every case because yeah. every case is going to be some little twist. And you're, of course, in legal arguments trying to find a case that was very similar to the one you're trying now for some bizarre legal fact. Mm -hmm. But at least on the facts, I could absorb them pretty quickly. Right. So because you have familiarity. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, you know, there's pluses and minuses to one. Do you want to pay less for the hour, but you're going to be paying more hours for somebody to really get up to speed on the case, or do you want to find somebody who is a real expert in the field who will say, "Oh, you need a. We're going to need an expert witness on uh, structural engineering. I know just the guy. I've used him a couple times before." Mm -hmm. That's going to save you a lot of time. It's also means you're going to get a really good structural engineer. He might, he's going to be really expensive. I can tell you, you bring an engineer into court, you're going to be paying a lot of money. Yeah, because you've got to beat the fee that he would normally be charging to do his own job outside of court. 
Right. So, you know, and of course, there's a whole other thing with expert witnesses. You don't want to have an expert who all they do is do expert witness testimony. You want a guy who's like, I do this occasionally when I'm needed. Right. Um, but, you know, you you definitely when it's just like, uh, you know, a lot of our. our <laughs> that almost sounds like a shyster. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I got my degree in this so that I could testify in court. There are some fields out there where it's like, come on, how are you really giving an opinion on this? Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's just like a lot of our customers at Diamondback say, I justify my hourly rate not by the hours that I spend doing the work, but by the hours that I spent learning how to do the work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, you know, the same thing is is true with a lawyer. Mm-hmm. If you've got a lawyer who's got a lot of experience in this particular type of thing, that lawyer has done a lot of research along the way. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, you're not paying by the hour for them to do that research, but you right. kind of are. It's right. just built into the... You're paying for their cumula- cumulative knowledge. Right, yeah. right. So, you know... When you're looking for a lawyer, it, it, you know, find somebody with some experience. Um, you know, you might not need the senior partner who's been doing it for 50 years, but you know, maybe the guy who's been doing it for 10. And you know, it's just like hiring any other skilled tradesperson. And then you go through the entire process, and you pray to goodness you're that you're the prevailing party, and the judge rules in favor of the losing losing party, the non-prevailing, is that what non-prevailing. is non-prevailing? The, the non-prevailing party is gonna pay all your lawyer fees and you come out of this thing with only emotional scars. Emotional and time because you are not getting paid. One thing you're not gonna be compensated for is the time that you spent sitting in your lawyer's office. And in the courtroom. And in the courtroom. And so you've and now digging through your paperwork. Yeah, you've been on at nights and weekends digging through your paperwork to get that documentation to your lawyer. You have invested hmm. a tremendous amount of your time that you could have been doing work or spending time with your kids working on this lawsuit. That sounds like pain and suffering. That's like when people sue for pain and suffering. That's like right up there with pain and suffering oh, for yeah. me. Wow. You heard it here first. Going to court is a real pain in the butt. If you didn't know that already... You know it now. And if you are going to go to court, then you better be prepared. And what better way to be prepared than to listen to the BizBuild podcast with uh, Diamondback Damani and uh, President and CEO Connor Crook. And Connor. keep really good records. Oh, yes. That's the last thing. <laughs> and keep them organized. That's the other thing. You want to be able to put your... It, it's good to keep good records, but if you don't know how to get them when you need them... I got it here somewhere. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, it's in the back of the truck somewhere. Like, get a filing system or find someone who's going to file it for you. Um, That's a big thing. But, yeah, anyways, hope you learned a little bit about the um, anatomy of a construction law case. I might come up with a real clever name for this episode later on. Um, But until the next time we see you or you hear from us, be good to yourself. Now be good to somebody. We're out of here. Peace. just been listening to the biz build podcast i'm your host damani follow me on instagram at diamondback underscore damani that's d-a-m-a-n-i or follow connor on instagram at diamondback.toolbelts you can also find more about diamondback by visiting our youtube page or facebook page 
Hope you enjoyed what you heard here today, and we look forward to you joining us again on our next episodes. Take care. Don't forget to like and subscribe. 